Hey game friends, GM John here. Ravenloft Tiny Terrors is a spooky, silly podcast that may contain scenes that aren't appropriate for all listeners. As always, all specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the episode descriptions. We're using the Sword and Sorcery Ravenloft books from the early 2000s, as well as the Pathfinder First Edition role-playing system to play this game. This podcast was actually recorded before Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft for a fifth edition was printed, so if you're using that book, things will be a little different here. In lieu of referring you to books that may be out of print, if you want to learn more about Ravenloft and the background of the podcast's world, make certain to check out the Fraternity of Shadows, home of Ravenloft on the internet, at www.fraternityofshadows.com. With no further ado, we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, game friends, to the Real Play Games podcast, the podcast where I, your game master, John, run my friends through a variety of tabletop role-playing games, some of them pretty popular and some of them really obscure. Today, we're going to be playing the third session of our Ravenloft game, Ravenloft Tiny Terrors. Uh, of course, I will be the GM, John, as per usual. And with me, of course, I have Harmon Rue. Why don't you go ahead and say hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. You shouldn't have done that. <laughs> no. And why don't we tell everybody who you folks are playing? Uh, yep, I'm Rue. I am playing the follower of the moon, Lupo Cthulhu. I am Harm, and I'm playing Ify Cthulhu, Lupo's cousin. She's a halfling barbarian kineticist with a wolf animal companion named Yes Sir. Last time on Ravenloft Tidy Terrors, the cousins were investigating the Eternal Order's hostel that was run by a priest named Sivis, only to discover that he was, in fact, a skin-stealing monster. They managed to find his secret lair underneath of a closed abattoir, and after confronting a few halved zombies that tried to attack them, they ended up killing the skin thief and returning the item that he had purchased from their store, the cursed butcher's knife, covered in mystical runes. They returned it to the vault underneath of Venaris's Articles of Virtue. We catch up with the two cousins several months after the fact. They've been busy buying and selling things and hunting down, or at least trying to get leads on the missing magical artifacts. Over the past couple of months, Jackson's managed to decipher a fair portion of the journal left behind by Venaris and has plotted out the locations of a number of the items. Unfortunately, most of them lie well outside of Darkon and will require the cousins to travel to find them. We pick back up right at the end of March, March 30th of 7.56 on the Barovian calendar with the two cousins at Venaris's Articles of Virtue with Jackson discussing their future plans. Now, based off of what my research has indicated, it looks like we may be able to get three artifacts just by traveling to two different countries at this point. Is there a map on the table? I imagine them like all like around a map, maybe at like a center desk in the whole antique shop. You know what? That's a good description. So yes. (laughs) 
So if he's like kind of halfway up on the table, like leaning over, looking at the map, she's pretty excited because like this is a lot of travel. I don't think anybody from home has been that far. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Lupo is also just it's like he's standing. He's like pacing around the map on the table, just looking at things. She's like tracing their path like a rogue did at the beginning of X-Men. She's like, first, we'll come up this way. They have the best crescents there. Like, and then we'll go here. Oh, I've heard they have eggs that are like the size of my head. <laughs> well, pointing to the map, Jackson actually indicates a spot on the map that looks very close to the ocean. And he says, currently, we're here in Martira Bay in Darkon. Now, with what I'm thinking, it will probably be easier to travel by sea than by land, considering how much distance you'll need to cross to get to these two countries. He points to the country directly below where you were located at in Darkon called Lamordia. And he traces a route on the ocean part of the map around Lamordia and in between a couple of islands that are in the ocean. And then points to the country that's below Lamordia on the map. And he says, two of the artifacts were supposedly sold to folks that live here in Damon-Liu. Both of them are supposed to be located in Port Alucine. So that's obviously going to be the first place that we're going to want to take a look. Then he points to the next country down even lower on the coast. That's called Mordant, M-O-R-D-E-N-T. And he says, we've tracked another one of the items to Mordant at this point, or at least that's the last location that we had an indication of where the person who had purchased it resides. Yeah, is that why you've been teaching us Mordantish, is so that we could go there? Well, it seemed like the right thing to do at the time, especially because of the fact that there was a big cluster of items. It seemed only natural that we'd be able to potentially recover all three and bring them back before anyone's any the wiser. You're so smart, she says in Lower Mordantish. He looks a little surprised. He says, your Lower Mordantish accent is very good, Iffy. I'm always better at sounding like I'm common than like I'm noble. <laughs> The items that we're looking for are threefold. The first one is going to be a ruby-hilted dagger. It's supposed to be of clearly superior craftsmanship. Unfortunately, in the receipts that we have on hand, it doesn't indicate who it was purchased from originally. But apparently the case that it comes in has some kind of magical aura to it. It appears to be some type of Outlander item. Outlander? Yes, there seems to be some type of phenomenon where occasionally people will claim to be from other realms outside of our own. And while I particularly don't give credence to a lot of them, I've met a few people that cause me to wonder. If he kind of sits for a moment thinking of the possibility of there being worlds outside of their own and then kind of dismisses it as being unimportant because it's not like she's going there. So she starts looking back at the map. So what does the dagger do? Well, that's just the thing. I don't have any indications as to what its exact abilities happen to be, so you'll want to be very careful in the case of this one. However, it was sold to a person of whom I have some knowledge, if not a direct relationship to, so I can certainly say that if it's in his possession, he doesn't understand the true danger of the item. Was he a friend of yours? I wouldn't call him a friend. I have done certain studies with this individual but I certainly wouldn't call him a friend. He tends to be more interested in charlatanism than actual learning. His name is Professor Arcanus, and he resides in Port-a-Lucine de Montlieu, although he does have a traveling show of, let's call them curiosities. What's the next item? 
Well, the other item that is supposed to be located in the same city is an ornate silver filigreed steel set of sculpting tools in a dark brown leather case with the image of a man holding a lantern and a sword with a dog by his side. And the motto, those who are righteous receive what they deserve, all in red embroidery thread. I believe, actually, that it was once an item that belonged to a member of the now-vanished Westcote family of the Great Moor region in Morden, but uh, that's just based on the symbolism in the crest. That sounds very pompous. Well, I mean, it, it does come from a noble family, or at least, you know, what had once been a noble family, so you can expect a certain amount of pompousness from that lot. Do we know what that does? The only thing that I've seen based on my research is, is that everyone who's come into possession with those items has tended to create something wrong. Like ugly? I, I wouldn't say ugly so much as something that becomes either an obsession to them or leads them to some kind of unfortunate end. Those who use them make what destroys themselves. It would certainly seem that way, and they cause a lot of suffering to people in the process. Hmm. And then we go to Mordant. Yes, the sculpting tools appear to have been sold to a wax worker in Alexandre du Cire in Porta Lucine de Montlieu. A wax worker? Correct, yes. He, he runs a house of horrors, something that is normally meant to scare the tourists, not an actual artistic display of any sort. And then the final item? Yes, the final item is the most curious one that I personally feel out of the three is of importance to us. It's an ornate monocle that's made from an unidentified metal that's resisted all attempts by metallurgists, jewelers, and sages to identify the source of. Okay. Does it do anything that we know of? Well, the monocle itself is reputed to warp the fates of those who are viewed through the lens on it. It's said that people can have misfortunes or accidents caused to them by having someone will it when they're wearing the monocle. And that was actually sold, it appears, to a medical professional, a Dr. Stella Canaveri from the Musel Sanitarium for Mental Health in Mordenshire, Mordent. And Jackson actually reaches into the overcoat that he's wearing on the rather dapper suit that he has on. And he pulls out a hunk of rock and sets it on top of the map that you have. You'll want to take this with you. This will allow us to communicate with each other once per day each, but it'll only be in up to 25 words. If he's going to pick it up and then hand it to Lupo, who's usually a lot more responsible with these kinds of things. One of his, he has a pocketed scarf, so he's going to stuff it in one of the pockets. Now, it shouldn't be limited by distance, but if there's any effect that will block any sort of magical transmissions or the like, it could cause problems with it. Does it like it's an instant? As soon as you've spoken the message into it, it will relay it to the stone that I'm carrying. Wow, does it buzz or? It grows comfortably warm in your pocket. And then when you pick it out, it says the message? Correct. In a rock voice or in a people voice? In your voice. So when I communicate to you, you'll hear it from me. How do you use it? She really wants to take the rock back, but she's regretting handing it to Lupo. <laughs> you, you just hold it and speak directly into the cleft at the top of the rock. She does. She's going to grab it and whisper a message to it. He's holding the other stone and he holds it to his ear. <laughs> Jackson, this rock, it's so cool. I love it. I love you. Thank you. Love it. Thank Goodbye. He laughs a little bit and he says, well, now, Iffy, of course, you don't want to have to send a message like that every day. I know that you love me, and I, of course, love you, too. You're adorable. She's so happy. <laughs> she hands the rock back to Lupo. 
he made sure to follow what was going on so he knew what was happening. <laughs> He'll stuff it back into a little scarf pocket. He says, now I've already made contact with a captain down at the docks who'd be willing to take the two of you on as travelers. Ooh, what's his name? Her name is Captain Violetta Frontinus Pio. She, she's a harsh woman, but I've, I've done business with her several times and I trust her implicitly. What's her boat called? Her boat is called the Concordia. Ooh, it sounds pretty. It's a rather large vessel, yes. It's a, called a galleon. Large enough that the two of you will have a, a room to yourselves. And you won't be expected to help with the crew, although I would advise staying out of their, their footing, typically. They don't want our help? No, you don't have to work while you're on the ship. Your passage would be paid for. Oh. Can the dogs come? She immediately throws her arms around, yes, sir, like protectively. I wouldn't have you leave without them. Now, I can say, the dogs may not be the most popular thing in the world, de you, but in, in Mordant, definitely. The Mordantish are definitely very fond of their dogs. If he hugs, yes, sir, tighter, wondering how anyone could not love him. So when do we go? Well, I booked passage for you from two days from now. Aw, thank you. We'll have to stock up on bread. Yes, well, I'm certain if you were to stop over at the breadatorium that Sasha would be more than happy to load the two of you up with as much bread as you can carry, especially if she knows you're taking a long trip. Yes. If he's now as excited for the bread as she is for the boat. (laughs) So I take it you two are definitely going to plan on going over and getting some bread before your trip. Absolutely. I don't think there's much other preparation they need. They've kind of been, since we leveled up in the meantime, I kind of see them that is over time accumulating items and kind of getting ready, knowing that at some point they might have to travel. Exactly. And we did have both of the characters level up because I did a little hard thinking and realized, of course, that a challenge rating means for four characters that are involved in a combat with a monster and not two characters that are involved in a combat with a monster. So I made certain that the cousins had a little bit more to work with before they go off on their own. I mean, yes, sir, is quite strong. He counts as a people. He, but he doesn't have a class. He couldn't heal you. He also couldn't climb into a well with us, so. No. (laughs) I mean, now he can climb. I I know you specifically worked on that, so he wouldn't have an issue like that next time. (laughs) He's got a higher climb than I do. (laughs) I'll send him down the hole next time. I'll go back to Jackson with the note. (laughs) So you actually end up leaving on what would be at this point April 2nd. It's a fairly gray day, but... Definitely a lot warmer than it had been in past weeks. When you get down to the docks, you see the largest ship there is the one that's got Concordia across the side. The figure on the helm of this one is actually a cornucopia that's spilling forth a bounty of wooden fruits that are all connected together, but they look like they're falling out and into the sea. I like being on the boat with the food on it instead of the boat with the people. If he's so excited, she's like skipping along, like got her fingers in like, yes, there's rough. She's kind of holding too tight, but he's excited too. So he doesn't notice. Gorger has so much stuff on top of him. Like I like packed him with everything. (laughs) (laughs) And you meet the captain. She is a a short woman, older, appears to be in maybe her early fifties, but she's got raven black hair. That's got a couple white streaks going through it. That's cut really short. And an absolutely no-nonsense attitude. She says, as long as you stay out of the way, everybody, everything will be fine. Definitely. Yeah. We'll make sure you've got three hots in a cot, and we'll keep you safe on the journey. 
if he nods enthusiastically. If anyone gets hurt, let me know. I can I can help. If we've got need of you, we'll definitely ask. We're, we're not the type to just be standoffish with people, but otherwise we like to let passengers do their own things. Thank you. There, there will be one other passenger on the ship, but as long as you're not bothered too much by her music, it should be fine. Otherwise, we can tell her to knock it off. Is she a musician? Well, yes, she's been putting some of the men off with her music. The instrument that she plays is not one that I have ever heard before, and I find it, frankly, to be quite unnerving. That's kind of exciting to Iffy as well. I'm not going to lie. The other bunk room next to yours will, of course, contain her. Good luck with that if you're listening to her practice. Definitely not something someone wants to listen to on the open ocean. Ironically, I bought earplugs. You did really? I did. I legit bought earplugs. I bought two sets because I was like, maybe we'll need to cover our ears for something. You get a very brief introduction of the rest of the crew. Most of them are just sailors, but you get to meet the first mate and folks like that. When you're led to your bunks, the door is actually open to the bunk that's next to yours. And you hear... Is it like a harper? No, you know in horror movies where you'll get that really horrible atonal sound? Yeah? Yeah, well, all those are made on an instrument called the water harp or water phone. Okay, I I gotta Google this. Yeah, it's a handheld instrument. It's kind of held like you hold on to a bell, but it's got a bunch of prongs going up from it. And when you stroke a bow across it, it makes a really atonal noise that they use in a lot of horror movies. Oh, that's weird looking. And it, it, is, it is currently, you can see inside of the room, being held by a very, very pallid elven woman uh, who's got hair that's so blonde it's almost white. And she starts singing a very soft, very mournful tune. Can we roll to see if we like the music or not, since this is a new sound? I don't think you even need to roll for it. It it sounds like she's singing a dirge of some sort. I prefer happier musics. (laughs) I walk into my room. I think it's just so cacophonous. I just listened to what that instrument sounds like. So if he's still kind of intrigued, we'll see how she feels after. How how long is this journey? The journey, based off of what you've been told by the captain, is going to take about four to five days, roughly, to get you to your destination. Yeah, we'll see how Effie feels about it after five days. She's going to head into the room to see what it looks like. Are, are they sharing a room? It is. It's 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 a small room maybe eight by 15 feet or so at the most, but there's two little hammocks that have been strung up in there. So it looks like it's definitely going to be more than enough room for the two of you and your two dogs. Perfect. Do you want the hammock on the left side of the room or the right side of the room? Left. Okay. If he scrambles over to the right side and is going to like put, I guess, a, a bag down on it to help hold the hammock down. She's like seeing is there a window that they can look out like a little porthole. There's a very small porthole window. It actually has glass in it, which appears to be, you know, it's not really something you see very often. Well, she's got a small face, so she's going to try and put it right up in that window. And is she even tall enough to look out it? She'd have to clamber up a little bit to look out it. She like motions for yes, sir. No, yeah, she could just hop up on the dog. 
Yeah, he's going to be there. She's going to brace him and like step on him and kind of try and look out the window and see what she can see. It's pretty gray over the sea itself. Definitely not really looking great out on the water, but it's clear. We got a view. She jumps off of the dog's back and runs (laughs) back over to her hammock. She's going to test it and stretch out in it for a second to see how it works. She's excited. She's never been on a boat like this. Bed roll in the hammock so that it's, you know... With you two settling in a little bit, you know that you'll be called to the meals when the sailors typically eat, or at least when some of them do, because not everybody eats at the same time. After the boat takes off and you get on your journey. Oh, was Jackson there to see us off? Was it like, you know, us waving? And he'd, He'd go down and wave goodbye to you at the dock when you were taking off. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they don't have a big Bon Voyage party because this isn't really a transport vessel so much as it is a shipping vessel that has a couple of extra rooms on it. Yeah, she's waving. She's very excited. It's a fun trip for her. The first day and on into the night gets incredibly chilly, especially the further away that you pull out from Darkenese waters. And as you're looking periodically, as it gets to late evening, you can see that a lot of the coastline seems to shift from a more gradual coastline to a very rocky one. And as you're seeing this shift, the temperature noticeably drops. You can feel the difference over the matter of a couple of minutes. It seems to go down about 10 degrees. At nighttime, the moon is very bright because it's currently a full moon and you see a couple of islands off to the distance. You know, based off of what Jackson had ended up telling you, that these are called Derfinja, which means the fingers in Lamordian. And they are known to be one of the least inhabitable spots of islands in the entire ocean. Oh, oh are those the fingers Jackson was telling us about? After the course of the first day and the morning after you wake up is just as chilly off to the distance along the coast. It definitely looks a lot different than the one that you left in dark on for sure. Before they went to bed that night, I think Ify was going to send a message to Jackson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's going to be like, the water is so much fun, Jackson. And there's like gray everywhere. And it was like, so I went downstairs and there was like all these people and everyone doesn't eat at the same time. But it's like, love you. Bye. That was <laughs> okay. Just out of character, did you count the amount of words that you were saying? Nope, neither would Iffy. I think it got to like, but everyone eats at separate times, and then done. <laughs> yep, <laughs> yes, she's gonna send him similar messages every night until they arrive. You get a simple message back that goes, Thank you very much for messaging, Iffy. I hope you're both well. Iffy. 25 words iffy. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think his first message was designed to admonish you. I think he wanted to. No. Jackson is super supportive, and that is why if he loves him. <laughs> now, the first full day that you're going to be on this ship has a very bad mess of wind and is also pretty cold overall. You're still off of the coast of Lamordia at this point. At nighttime, despite pushing hard because of the bad winds, you're still two or three hours off from being able to pull up into the dock at Leudendorf in Lamordia. During the night, a light mist rolls in. Why don't both of you go ahead and give me perception checks to see if you can notice something very important? Dogs too or just us? 
you can do them for the dogs too. 15 for Ithy. Uh, yes, sir. Rolled a nat 20. What is his perception score? A five. Okay. Very good. Very good. Nat 20 on the pupper. 23. Nice. 23, did you say? Yep. Man, that dog sense. No, and then for twenty three for uh, Gorger. Holy cow! Okay, so everybody but if he <laughs> hears the sound of a man screaming up on deck, she's like humming to herself and looking at a marble. And this is in that nighttime, nighttime. So you'd probably be asleep at this point. Oh yeah, she's sleeping. But Lupo, uh, you and both of the dogs immediately wake up and start growling because they hear a man shriek, like a shriek of horror coming from what appears to be up on the deck. I pull my mithril, well, my armor is on me, my cloak is on me. So I grab my, my shield, my sickle and say, Ify! What? Is it breakfast time? Something's happening. Oh, if he's going to fall out of the hammock. I don't think she knows how to get out of it quickly or stealthily. I think she pretty much always just kind of throws herself side to side until she falls out of it. And that's how she's been getting up. So she's going to get up and start wiggling into her chain shirt. And she's going to be like, wait, so what's happening? Uh, You can sleep in a chain shirt, by the way. Yeah, especially Mithril is super light and super inobtrusive. So she's going to grab a bag of adamantine ball bearings. As the two of you are waking up and getting yourselves prepared, you can hear somebody else scream, we're under attack. And you can hear a commotion starting out on the deck. Oh, if he's ready to run up there. Is Lupo? Yeah, a light. I am, I'm able to cast light. I, I got a 49, so I, do, I didn't fail. So I cast light as well. As your light goes on whatever, uh, probably your shield or something, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, as you start illuminating the area more, you can see that your neighbor has also come out of her room. And she looks down at both of you with pure purple eyes, like no obvious pupils or sclera in them, and says, what's going on? We're under attack. Oh, no. She starts moving towards the commotion with you. Up on deck, as the two of you get up closer to the deck, you can see a couple of the sailors are starting to run towards the commotion. But there's a roughly man-sized, for lack of a better term, figure it looks like it for a moment that it's got two arms outstretched and its head raised back. But then as you see a kind of a shaft of moonlight come down and hit it, you realize it's shaped like a pentagram of sorts. Like it's got a star shape to it. We're being attacked by a pentagram. It's a big creature that's got like a leathery hide on its back. And on the front side of it, it's got these long hairs that droop down. But nestled within the hairs, you can see these little suckers. I'm still just picturing a really awful star, you. Yeah, well, and it's currently bending down a little bit. It bends over on top of one of the sailors that's near it. And suddenly, one of its arms and then the other arm pounds both sides of this man. And something shoots out of the middle of this creature. Impales the man through the stomach before yanking him splitting him in half and pulling the upper part of his torso inside of this big creature. Half of the sailors who were running over to the situation immediately drop their weapons and start screaming as they turn and run away from this creature, having just watched it rip one of their compatriots into pieces and then suck it inside of it. You two don't have an issue with it. You manage to hold on to your nerves. 
So go ahead and give me initiative rolls. You're about 30 feet away at this point from the location where the creature is up on the deck. I rolled a nat 20 for a 22. You are just having a hot dice night. It's hot dice summer. It's like either high or cockeyed. Rolled a two for a four. Oh, no. That's okay. You're the magic person. You're supposed to hang back a little, right? I should have cast bull strength before we got up here. We got this. We got this. By the power of the moon. Okay, well, Iffy, you are going first. Iffy's going to pull out an adamantine ball bearing. Is the star close to the edge of the boat? It looks pretty close to the edge, yeah. It looks like it may have just crawled up recently. It's about five feet away from the edge of the boat. Okay, so I'm going to do a a pushing infusion. Okay, so go ahead and make your attack roll first. Yeah. How close are we, by the way? You're about 30 feet away. Are you going to draw power? Yeah, can I do a little gather power before I do it? Yeah, you can do that as a move action. Okay, cool. So I'll only be using... Yeah, that'll negate the point of uh, infusion, right? Correct, that you won't take a point of burn. Okay. That is a 22 to hit. Oh, wow, that absolutely hits. So roll for your damage, and then you'll make a bull rush attempt. That's for 13 points of damage. Your adamantine sphere goes directly through it and plops out into the ocean somewhere. And the impact of it is enough to blast it over the side of the ship. Um, And that negated the burn, so I don't have any burn for using that, right? Correct. Cool, cool. Yeah, so you just, as you positioned yourself for a moment, drew on some energy, some of the rigging and stuff that was on the deck started to lift up into the air before you ended up launching that adamantine sphere. And she's standing there, like, staring at this ball bearing and, like, her hair's standing up on edge. Little objects are rising and then whoosh. Yeah, and you you actually blasted over the guardrail on the side of the ship. Are there more? No, they from what you can see when you go over to look, because we're out of initiative at this point. Oh. <laughs> you you knocked it over the side of the ship and it's kind of floating on the water right now. I'm gonna use Mage Hand to try and push it under. You're unfortunately your mage hand does not have the strength to do that. <laughs> You, you can tell it does have half of a man inside of it that it ate. So you're thinking maybe it just doesn't want to really fight anymore after that. What was that? That was a giant starfish. Starfish are bad. They are when they're large as a man. No, maybe I don't like the ocean. I didn't like that. If he's going to, I guess, turn back to where the dead body is. Yeah, at this point, a couple of the sailors end up throwing some stuff at it while it's in the water, but that ends up sending it back down, and it seems like it floats off. She's a little worried that she did the wrong thing by throwing it into the ocean. Well, I mean, you did end a potentially dangerous fight really quickly. I was not expecting that outcome out of anything that could have possibly happened there. (laughs) It's only because I have the pushing infusion. She's going to scurry over to Lupo because she's a little worried that she's going to get in trouble. And she's like, this was like, we were supposed to help, right? I mean, couldn't hurt. I'm going to go look at the man, you know, the part of the man that's still there. Yeah. At at this point, it's just his hips and legs. Oh, gosh. I'm sorry I didn't wake up faster. After a little bit of fraught sorting out, the crew starts gathering his stuff up into what looks like maybe an extra spare bit of sail and wrapping it up. They have a little funeral for him before casting the bottom half of his body into the ocean. 
if he watches it all quietly with yes sir she feels like if she had woken up when they first heard the scream she might have been able to save the guy so she's feeling a little guilty oh i do like a religious sign with my silver holy symbol and then we go back to bed i guess at this point, the captain also seems a little upset at the whole situation, but considering only one person got killed, it's honestly not the worst way that things could have turned out. <laughs> the morning of the next day, everybody's in a pretty somber mood, but you do end up pulling into Leudendorf in Lamordia and are told to be back right before sundown to make sure that you're back on the ship. Otherwise, unfortunately, you end up getting left there. Oh, this is just like a day trip place? Ostensibly, they're going to be unloading a lot of raw material goods and stuff that they brought from Darkon and getting a bunch of furniture and other finished goods unloaded onto the ship during the course of the day. But the person we're meeting's not here, is he? No, correct. Okay. It's probably going to take another day or two for you all to reach that area. Do we get a per diem? No, you don't get a per diem. You have the money that you folks came with. <laughs> Should we go into town and look around a little? Sounds fun. Okay. Yeah, it'd be nice to have solid ground under our feet again. Now, there are three things about Lamordia that are pretty noticeable immediately. One, very cold. Even for it being at this point the early part of April, it is very cold outside. The ground is fairly muddy. There's still a couple of sparse patches of snow in areas. Do we have the clothes for this? Like, I feel like I'm, I'd be a little cold. <laughs> it's chilly, but it's not cold enough to cause you serious issues. D&D doesn't have, like winter clothing right as a thing you buy they do there's there's like winter outfits and pathfinder a lot of the men that are walking around have like a loose collared shirt a vest and trousers the richer men tend to wear a waistcoat and a pointed black hat as well um you can see the women most of them have very heavy woolen dresses with high collars and big sleeves on let's go with not like winter clothes but like heavier woolen clothing okay We'll go shopping. It takes you a little while going through Leudendorf to find a store that sells clothing. Based on what you talk with the man who runs the place, Johan Morgensen, he indicates that most people in Lamordia tend to make their own clothes. That makes sense. Oh, furs. That's what we would want to get is furs. Okay. Well, I guess we'll get some furs then, right? Yeah, it's it's basically just cold weather outfit. Oh, okay, that's cheaper. Yeah, so it'd be like heavier clothing, woolen, maybe a, a little hat to cover your little heads. <laughs> nice. Little rabbit fur. Just a single rabbit. <laughs> yeah, and you can see based on what you're seeing as you look around, it looks like Leudendorf is very much a shipbuilding town. It very much is a place that relies on the sea. There's a lot of fishing and whaling boats. Let's get something to eat. Yes. I'm hungry. So we're going to look for like a food place. One of the first places that you end up stopping by is a place called the Breaking Wave. It's an inn. You can smell as you're going past it, the smell of cooking seafood. And that lifts your little tiny nostrils up and drags them towards the door. Ooh, yeah. So we're going to head that way. Um, Does this seem like the kind of place where dogs are allowed into restaurants? Well, as you get to the door, you can see that a couple of people in there look askance at your dogs. But from what you can tell, they could just stay in an alleyway. Okay, yeah, I'll let yes or no to stay out here and I'll bring food out for him. 
let me tell you, as you go into this place, you get quite a few strange looks because as you've noticed, there are not many halflings in this town at all. I'm going to comment on it in halfling to Lupo. I'm going to be like, I don't think there's a lot of halflings here. I think I'm wearing kids clothes. I don't even think these were sized for a halfling. I think they're, there's little rubber ducks on everything. So <laughs> I don't know if these are grown up clothes at all. I was going to tell you, they would have sold you children's clothes. Oh my gosh, I got it right. <laughs> I'm like, I just don't know why all the bows. <laughs> oh no, the Lamortians are a people that are not given to ostentation whatsoever. Most of them don't even wear jewelry. Like, that's a, a winter christening, Jess. This <laughs> <laughs> just a, I got a white, a white shirt, but it's like a little white gown that the ba- children wear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The atmosphere isn't great in here, but the food itself is fantastic. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. So, yeah, if he's going to order as much as her little stomach can take. Yeah. Their specialties are flounder, eel, and shellfish. Eel. I want an eel pie. Yeah. Oh, oh, eel pie is a specialty of theirs. They also have bacon-wrapped shellfish. If you'll go for that. And they are little scallops that have been wrapped in pieces of fried pork. I hear like eel pie is very, very sea. You, you can taste the ocean that the eel came from, or the water the eel came from. <laughs> oh, it, it tastes like the ocean, all right. You is you it- feel like you've got your mouth open and you're just laying in the ocean and the animals are swimming in, ready to be eaten. <laughs> Do you enjoy the feeling? Yeah. It's, oh, yeah, they have very good quality food. Probably one of the best places that you've eaten at since you ended up leaving home in the first place. If he's going to be pretty chatty and complimentary for the food, if he really loves food, so. The woman that serves you is the only person that tends to be a little chatty with you. And especially once you compliment the food, she gets very proud and she says, my husband's the one who makes it, he is. He's got a gift. This is so yummy. I'd have traveled twice as far for this. Oh, you don't say, little girl. Well, thank you for telling us that. I like it even better than candy. And she just is like digging in. <laughs> the language, Lamordian, by the way, it sounds very much like German. Like, golden Dach means good day. <laughs> okay. Yeah, very German. So they're going to, I guess, finish up eating. Uh, if he's going to keep one of the rolls, I guess, for, yes, sir, for being a good boy. I'll get someone to just pocket one of the scallops. Yeah. <laughs> How much longer do they have before the boat's going to leave the port? Oh, they've got they've got a few hours left to kill it. Okay. Walking through the city, they can see that craftsmanship is also a very big part of Lamortian society. I'm going to look for ivory because I'm sure like they have like walrus tusks here. Yes, yeah, so, uh, that type of ivory would be able to be found. Yeah. Uh, yeah, any, like stuff for Scrimshaw, especially, yes. When I see the Scrimshaw, and I'm like, ooh, that looks really fun, but I want to make it myself. So I want to find some like raw material. Oh, yeah. You would be able to find a Scrimshander, ironically enough, is what a, someone who does Scrimshaw is called. They, they are able to sell you all the tools necessary to get into Scrimshaw. They're very surprised. They're like, good for you, young fella. It's nice to see people getting into the old traditions. Uh, how much is it? I only have 66 gold. <laughs> I got more. I can help. Well, How much? Off the top of my head, I'm going to say a scrimshaw kit costs 20 gold. Okay. I can do that. 
if he will more than happily share her money considering how much he spent on her birthday gifts. <laughs> he bites the coins that you give him, but well, at least one of them, but otherwise he, he smiles and he gives you all the materials for it. Can't wait to see what you craft, little man. Thank you. Unless anything exciting is happening, I just kind of picture Iffy is kind of skipping around, looking at different items, complimenting everything she sees because it's all so awesome and exciting and new. Maybe wrestling with yes sir a little. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fact that you speak the language definitely makes people a little bit more willing to conversate with her to at least be nice enough to you. But wait, it's I only speak Darkanese, Falconian, and Halfling, and more Dentish. Okay, well. Then Lupo gets a pretty good reception. They look at you, especially when you're talking, and most of the people that don't speak the languages that you speak just give you questioning looks. You can see a couple of people that understand you give you nasty looks. And again, you have not to date seen a single halfling in this country. (laughs) It's pretty much ignoring all the nasty looks. And if people don't speak the language, she'll just like point and stuff and like smile and clap her hands and... Yeah, some of them probably think you're a foreign child, and others just think that you're a very energetic halfling. But these are a very repressed people, let's call it. Oh yeah, if he's going to stand out, because she is not so repressed. You also notice there's nothing that advertises anything like any kind of magical element to it whatsoever in this town. Hmm. I don't think that if you would find that particularly a big thing, as much as Lupo would. Yeah. Yeah, Lupo would definitely notice it more. There's no alchemists in this town. There's Occasionally you'll see somebody messing around with a strange-looking device with tools, but it definitely appears there's also no temples whatsoever in this town. Oh. Yeah, compared to Martira Bay, it appears that these are very godless people. Yeah, I don't think Ify would notice because she's pretty godless herself. Oh yeah, Ify would fit right in other than the fact that she's a little too chipper for most people there. (laughs) once you're done exploring the town you manage to get back to the boat well before it ends up taking off oh if you can she have bought like a little item to take back to jackson since he didn't get to come on the trip of course yeah oh yeah and sasha (laughs) i'm certain she would also appreciate something like a little scrimshaw like maybe just a little i'm picturing like a little tiny you know like animal yeah you get her a, a scrimshaw representation of a walrus yeah. Which is ironic because it also came from a walrus. My grandparents have a, a walrus test with a scrimshawed mushing team and a driver on top of it. That's really cool. I walked up with me in the past. <laughs> so getting back on the ship, the other two nights of your travel are fairly uneventful. There's a violent storm that pushes the ship a little bit off course on the last evening, but it still manages to reach Portolocene in the early morning hours of the next day. And you can actually see as you wake up in the morning and you're heading past Lamordia into Demontliu, the landscape seems to change like it's magic. You can almost see a specific line where those big, stark, steep cliffs that you had seen previously in the really rough coastline starts going down, down, down into a bunch of soft, rolling dunes and grass-covered hills. Still on the boat? Yeah. Okay. As you're sailing, you can feel the air getting warmer. (laughs) As they go, (laughs) if he's like, I don't get how people would think they come from other worlds. I mean, with all this naturalness, where else could they be from? Like, wind's blowing cold on one cheek and hot on the other. (laughs) 
it's actually warmer here than it was in Martira Bay when you left. Huh. Yeah, that's how nature works. If you're not in a patchwork countryside, where are you? I don't know much about nature, so. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's conv- I mean, this is her nature. This is the natural world. <laughs> it's like growing up in a, what was it, Everworld. Oh, yeah. You just be like, how could you not just have a solid line that dictates where one land ends and the other begins? You can see after a few more hours that the countryside turns into more like farmland, big developed farmland. And you can see off in the distance, the city of Port Lucene. It looks huge compared to Martira Bay. Uh, it's, it, it, there's a lot more buildings than there were in Martira Bay. But one of the things that strikes you as really weird, even as the ships pulling into the docks is, it doesn't look like there's nearly as many people. That's a lot of buildings for only a few people. What do I know about this place? Well, at this point, you know a couple of things about Damaliu. They have a representative government. They have a lot of elections and things like that. And they're led by a group called the Council of Brilliance. They are one of the most technologically advanced countries in the core, second mainly only to Lamordia. They have developed things like portable watches, typesetting, firearms. In their government, do we have a representative democracy where we come from? No, your government is ruled by King Azalan. Okay. And he pretty much is in control of the entire country. Okay. Jackson did, however, he sent you with a couple of letters. And one of them has the name Ray written on the front of it. And it's got an address that has port scene on the back of it. Oh, okay. Okay, so we'll go there first? Yeah. Deliver the letter? The address on the back says the Pontier Savant. And it's got a specific address on there. After asking a few people, you, you notice one thing specifically. Compared to the Lamordians, the people in De Montlieu are dressed garishly. There's a lot more color to their outfits. Most of the less wealthy men tend to wear a shirt with a more open collar and more colorful uh, pants. Oh, Lord. The nobles, you can see a couple of them. They have these very elaborate powdered white wigs that they wear. Oh. Like Renaissance, like uh, pre-revolutionary French? Correct. Okay. Yes, that's that's very much the aesthetic of this particular country. So goth, wearing a black <laughs> armored coat with just silver moons on the back. <laughs> These people are so different from the people at the last stop. No. If he's like pointing out sights as she skips along. You get a couple of funny looks when you stop to ask people for directions, but a few of them even compliment you on how well that you speak Mordantish. You notice everybody is speaking in high Mordantish. Occasionally out of the corner of your ear, you'll hear somebody mutter something in low Mordantish, but it definitely seems like it's not something that's necessarily used quite a lot. So if he'll be speaking high Mordantish. Yeah. Um, and she'll be the one asking for directions because Lupo is a little more shy when it comes to meeting strangers. Yeah. You can see a lot of the houses throughout this city. They're made of like a very attractive looking gray stone. Most of the doorways for the houses are either painted or have elaborate carvings in them. This place is really pretty. Yeah. As you arrive at the address that was listed on the back of the letter that says Ray, you can see that this residence is much like the other ones. It's got whitewashing on the outside that covers up some of the gray stone. 
and you can see there's a knocker on the door itself. Oh, if he totally skips up to the door and knocks with the knocker. Well, I mean, you have to take your dog and stand on his saddle. Oh, yeah, yeah. She's going to have to stand on the dog's saddle. But she's going <laughs> to use that. He's going to stand there. She's going to climb up him and stand in the saddle and brace one hand against the door and then knock as loudly as she can with the knocker. <laughs> as you knock as loudly as you can, and for quite a little bit, Nobody comes for the first few seconds. She thinks it's because she's not being loud enough. So she goes harder at the knocking. Uh, She almost gets pulled off of her feet as the door is jerked open after the loud knocking, but manages to hop down before she ends up getting pulled into this house. You can see there's a very tall elven man who's got long white hair, a bit of a high forehead. And he looks like he's wearing a smoking jacket and a pair of slacks. He looks for a moment and then immediately his eyes flash down and look at you. And he says, how can I help you? If he's going to say hi and wave at him. We have a letter for Ray. I say I'm ordentish. Are you Ray? We got a letter. Yes, I am Alanik Ray. As soon as he says the name Alanik Ray, you both know who Alanik Ray is. Who? Alanik Ray is the greatest detective who has ever lived. Oh. Uh. He's initially from Darkon, and he's kind of a legend there. He's known well in a lot of places, but he's specifically known for being one of the greatest investigators in the world. So if he's like, oh my goodness, if Jackson had said we were going to meet you, I would have just been throwing up this whole trip in excitement. He looks down and offers a bit of a small smile, and he says, well, I'm certainly glad that Jackson didn't tell that to you then. Please, please come in. And he moves out of the way so you can come in. There are a lot of strange things hanging on the walls as you come into the the hallway of this relatively small home. Strange for people who have been living in an antiques and oddities home for... Not so much for you, no. There's a lot of what look like manuscripts, a couple of magnifying glasses, and other different kinds of pieces of curiosity. As he leads you into a sitting room, he tilts his head and looks into another room and he says, Arthur, don't mind me. I'll be in here talking to... We've got some guests, so I want to speak with them for a little bit. Find out what it is that they're here for. You don't hear the response, but he takes the letter and grabs a letter opener from a nearby table and opens the letter. As he's looking through it, he looks back and then looks to you a few times, and then he starts laughing, and he says, Well, it looks like a favor's been called in after all, so I suppose that I'm at your service while you're looking for the item that you're trying to locate in the city? You're going to help us? Well, yes. I I have a very long relationship with Jackson, and I can certainly say that I owe him a few things. Jackson is pretty awesome. He is certainly an interesting individual, and I don't have any current cases at the moment, so I was actually going to start digging through some of my older cases. If he looks over at Lupo to see if he's wanting to take the lead, and if not, she's going to start telling him everything she knows about Professor Arcanus. And yeah, we are searching for an object. Oh, wait. Cursed objects. Yes, Jackson said as much inside of this letter here. Unfortunately, I believe Professor Arcanus is currently outside of the city. Not entirely certain on that one, but I know that it is springtime, and I believe that his, I would call it a circus personally, but usually takes off well into springtime. Oh, so he's far away. Well, from what I understand, he typically does a loop of nearby countries, beginning with Falkovnia. Obviously not a place where you or nor I want to go. No, no. 
Um, if he does not want to go there, she starts shaking her head the moment that he says it. We can wait for him to leave there. Yeah, he he notices you shaking your head, and he says, that's exactly right. You would be iffy, and of course, you would be Lupo pointing at the two of you. Absolutely. Right. Certainly interesting what it is that Jackson's gotten you into. Unfortunately, magical items and things of that nature aren't really my specialty, so I don't know how much assistance I'll actually be for the two of you. But whatever I can offer to you, I'd love to do. Alexandra is in this area, too. The wax worker? Now, Dusir is a native. Bit of a shifty-looking fellow, if I do say so myself. However, he is relatively well-to-do, so... I mean, you can go visit his operation if you wish to do so. It, he charges, I believe, it's five copper or so to get in. Has his sculpting changed recently any? Or his, his artwork, have you heard? Can't claim that I'm too familiar with the man's work myself. I don't really have time for frivolities like that too much. Although I did see one of his displays that he had outside of his place of business for a while, and it was strikingly lifelike. Well, I guess we could start. You just go look at his place. Yeah, we could go there first. If you could help us find out when the circus is not going to be a country that thinks that we're slaves. Yes. He laughs a little bit and says, certainly not any kind of thing that anybody should think about a sentient being. I don't know his exact schedule, but I can certainly head over to where he normally is located when he's wintering here and try to find out a little bit more. We would really appreciate that. Could you tell us where a nice hotel stay would be while we're waiting? Or an inn, or if there's a place that has a room for rent. He stops and looks almost offended for a moment. He says, well, Jackson had indicated that he hoped that the two of you could stay at my place while you're doing your investigations here, and I don't particularly have a problem with that. We would greatly appreciate that. Yes, well, it doesn't appear that you'll be taking up a lot of room anyway, and I myself quite enjoy dogs, so it's not a particular problem for me. If you pets, yes, sir. She's pretty happy with that. Thank you. We really appreciate that. If you could show us our room, we'll get unpacked. And if we have enough time, go check out the wax museum. Yeah, he leads you up a fairly narrow staircase and down a hallway to a small guest room. It's got a what looks like a single bed inside of there. Small window overlooking a bit of the city with some curtains that can go over it. It's not big, but it would fit the two of you and your dogs perfectly fine. Awesome. Thank you. I guess we'll get settled in and then get directions to the waxwork place. Oh, he says, I can give you directions. That's not a problem whatsoever. You'll just, and he goes and gives you directions to how you would locate what is called the Maison du Cire. When you guys see my notes, if you ever see them, you're going to be so sad as two people who actually know about French because I'm just spelling it all phonetically. I'm bad. I, 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 <laughs> I should know more, but yeah, it's not. <laughs> I'm like Maison, M-A-Z-E hyphen O-N, Ducier, D-U-C-I-E-R. Yeah. Well, no, that's actually correct. The last part? Yeah, Ducier. It's Do- two words, but it's D-U and then C-I-R-E. Oh, no, I had it not. That's not what I was. Mine was a little different. Well, hey, you were half right at least. I, I feel like I'm getting close to the pronunciation at least that you're using. Mostly. <laughs> Anybody who actually knows French will be very sad to hear my words. (laughs) Yeah, I guess we'll go to this place, the Maison de Lucier, and check out some waxing. Have we eaten? You would have eaten before you got off the ship. Okay. I bet we're all out of our good bread, our Sasha bread. We're out of that the first day. (laughs) I know, before we reach the (laughs) ship. (laughs) Yeah, The ship's pulling out, and I'm at the window like, Sasha! (laughs) So as you head to the Maison du Cire, 
you can see is you end up getting towards the front of this place. It's definitely dressed up unlike most of the other houses or businesses in the area. It's got big columns out in the front of it. And you can see in a really horrific looking font, there's a big signage that out in the front of it that says Museum of the Macabre. Does it have all the letters? Because our sign did not. It still does not. <laughs> and on the outside, you can see a man dressed up, appears to be dressed up like a werewolf because he's covered in gray fur and has big claws and slavering fangs on his outfit. And he says, Come see all the wonders and the horrors inside the Maison du Wow! If he immediately is unhappy. She feels like that's making fun of Lupo somehow. <laughs> Mostly because people did that when they were growing up to make fun of Lupo. So she's scowling and stomping as she walks like a frustrated toddler. <laughs> he sees that and he seems to not care about it. He starts laughing a little bit. He goes, oh, of course, he doesn't know what she's mad about. She just looks like a petulant toddler. As you're heading up the staircase, you can see on one side of the doorway to the interior of this building is what looks like a big skeleton pointing the way to the door. And on the other side, there is a big demonic looking creature. They appear to be fully three dimensional. They're not just painted on. If he's going to poke one with her telekinesis before they go up to it. I'm going to um, attempt to cast detect magic before we go in here. Yeah, 39, I'm good. You detect no magic, and these, it feels like wax. It indents just the tiniest bit when you use Mage Hand on it. If he's seriously tempted to knock over the werewolf guy behind them, the guy who's talking to him, but she's not going to push him because she's in a different country and you have to behave on your best behavior. As Jackson, I'm sure, told her every night before they left. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty certain he probably would have suggested for her to be on her best behavior. <laughs> would Gorger and uh, be allowed in? Yeah, can Yester come in? Well, when you go inside, you can see as you're walking in that there's a little counter where it looks like you would purchase entry. There's a woman with a very short bobbed haircut and very stark makeup on behind the counter. And as she looks at the two of you entering, she says, no animals allowed in the building. If he's going to turn to yes, sir, and whisper in his ear, in halfling, wait outside. If I start screaming, attack the wolf man. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm going to have him wait outside. Yeah, so then she's going to be like, he'll wait outside. And I have the silent whistle, so he knows to come if I whistle. Yeah, if I whistle, he'll come. But if I scream, he's to attack the wolf man. There's <laughs> an exit. Okay, well, when you get to the counter, it's only five copper for each of you to get entry. If he covers it. Once you've paid, the woman gives you a fairly bored-looking expression. You can hear a couple of people talking in the distance, and she points around the corner. She says, go down the hallway and then take the stairs up, and then you will be able to see the attractions. Hmm. As we're walking that way, are there any, like, doors that we see or any other ways we could go? As you walk down that hallway, no. It looks like there's a door behind the woman who's selling the entry, the ticket taker woman. But it doesn't look like down this hallway there's any doors. You follow down the hallway and there's a bunch of spooky paintings on the walls as you're heading down the hallway. Like werewolves eating people, vampires attacking people, mummies attacking people, all sorts of strange looking monsters attacking people. It's terrible. 
And as you reach the staircase, you can see that it's fairly dark in here. It's only lit by what look like gas lamps. And there's a couple people in front of you that head up the stairs. And you can hear them a short distance away as you're still climbing up the stairs because they have a longer stride than you. Can we be going quietly to hear what they're saying before they hear us? Yeah, you hear them talking. This place, every time we come here, they've got some new statuaries to look at. They're also horrible. When you get up to the top, you can see that there's what looks like a bunch of false spider webs that have been spread out and probably cotton or something like that that's been spread out over the door frame. And it leads into an exhibit room and you can see a man holding one hand over the side of his face done up in wax. You can see that there's a split down the side of his face. On one hand, it's a handsome, older-looking nobleman, looks like maybe in his 40s, 50s or so, with long brown hair and a big, thick mustache. And on the other side of his body, it looks very deformed, like he's transforming into some kind of a creature. The plaque that's listed underneath of it says, The Torments of Sir Hiragard. With Detect Magic, do I see any magical residue? You do not, no. Does perception get me anything? The only thing that perception gets you is that it's so well made that it looks like a human being in literal transformation. It's very creepy looking. And Halfling, I'm going to ask Lupo, so do you think Uncle has anything to do with these? Like Uncle's gift to the guy? I mean, he's a carver, right? If he's not really comfortable with how human these look and the knowledge that this guy has a cursed item. Does it move? See, touch it with your, touch it with your mind. I do. I poke it again with my mind. Nothing happens. <laughs> I'm just like, they're going to find all these little indents and all of these objects and not know why, because I'm just poking everything. It, it feels like wax. Hmm. So yeah, we'll just continue. Yeah, we'll keep looking. Okay. Uh, looking around with my detect magic, whenever it runs out, I'll try to do it again, so... The next room that you move into, you had heard a couple of gasps come from the room previously. And as you move into it, you can see why. There's a fairly pastoral-looking tableau of people who look like they're setting down to have a picnic or something. It looks like a young Damalius family. As they're all gathered around, looking over the food, from behind them, coming out of a bush, is a man that's holding an axe with both hands and has a crazed expression on his face. My hand almost lights up with my moon beam. <laughs> I'm like, ooh. And the little caption at the bottom says, a bloody good day at the park. I don't like So are these real stories of things that happened or just made up scenes? You aren't sure exactly. Go ahead and give me a knowledge history roll, Rue. Yeah, only person who has any knowledge of history. Uh, I'm like, that ain't natural. 15? 15. Uh, ironically, the first display that you had seen kind of catches in your brain a little bit. You know that the country of Nova Vasa, one of the noble families is known as the Hiragards, and it's spelled in the same fashion as that. Okay. I say, yeah, the, the nobleman was real. No, well, his name is real. But I don't know if he had a curse. As you go into the next exhibit, you can see what looks to be a man stitching pieces of different bodies together on a table. You're making me mad now. If he's touching everything with her mind, just to see, like, is the table made of wax? 
The table is not made of wax, but all of these sculptures, the the cadaver that's being pieced together, as well as the man who's doing so, who is a very tall, lanky-looking man who's missing part of one of his earlobes, you can see that on the placard underneath this one says, The Madness of Dr. Mordenheim. Is that a real person? You absolutely know that that is correct. Victor Mordenheim is a man of some ill repute from Lamordia. Do people debate whether or not it's Dr. Mordenheim or Dr. Mordenheim's monster? (laughs) No, not at all. Because Dr. Mordenheim is a monster. It's just accepted. (laughs) Yeah, so they'll keep going, I guess. No secret doors or anything that we can see? Well, as you move out into what appears to be the little roundabout hallway, go ahead and give me perception checks. This hallway has been painted almost completely black, and there's cracks of light coming from another door that's to the left of where you're at currently, so it looks like a big loop that you go through. 18. 15. You don't notice anything unusual in this area. Okay, we keep on walking. Okay, well, as you walk into this room, you notice there's black paint covering almost the entire area in here, and there's a lamp that's got a green glass over the top of it. It shows an all-gray creature leaning over a man with both of its hands on the sides of its head. And the tentacles that are coming from its mouth are moving around this man's head. And the placard on here says the brain eaters of Bloutspur. Do I know what type of creature it is? Give me a knowledge dungeoneering check. I don't have that. Okay, then you don't know what kind of creature this is. Like, are those real? Is, should I be afraid of these? Well, we know two things are based off real families, real people. So all these are real. That's awful. I could have gone my whole life without knowing one of these things was real. I never want to see that. Yeah. On to the next room. In the next room, you can see that there's been a very primitive fan rigged up in the room that's keeping a series of feathers circulating in here. And there's an exhibit where a man is being pecked to death by a bunch of small waxen birds. What's the title of this room? The Delightful Isle of the Ravens. Do you know that? Do you have a knowledge geography? Nope. Nope. If he's like, so he specifically went to this aisle to get pecked to death by birds? <laughs> I don't know. It could be a tail. I feel like I could fight a bird. I could probably take on two birds at least. He's like shadow boxing now. <laughs> Three. As you walk into the next exhibit, you can see that it's a very lithe figure crouching, what looks like on top of the side of a building. In one of their hands is held a straight razor. They're wearing a big snap-rimmed hat, and they've got a big red scarf wrapped around their face enough to obscure most of their features. And it looks like they're reaching down to grab someone and try and slit their throat. If he wants to see if the knife is real, the straight razor... It is not. It is also wax. Do we see anybody, like, watching these exhibits or anything like that? Give me another perception check. Damn it. Hawkeye. 13. Nope. Uh, I got a 13 as well. No, you don't see anybody watching any of these exhibits. Um, What's this one called? This one is called the Cantora Slasher. I'm going to get up really close to it. You get up really close to it, you are amazed. It looks like there's even texture to the skin on this thing. If this is just a guy with a knife, why is he in the same exhibit as a tentacle monster? Well, we had the man with the axe earlier. 
Yeah, but like there's like real monsters and then not real monsters, just people. People with knives. People are always the real monsters. Yeah. Can't trust humans. And at that point, it leads you out into another black painted area that has a staircase going down. I I feel like we missed a door. Yeah, there's got to be more rooms in here because this is not the layout of a normal like place. I'm going to search here. Okay, give me a perception roll. Ooh, 12. Ooh, 19 plus 8. 27. Ooh, wow. There's a staircase here. Looks like we go down. You don't find anything unusual. Maybe we'll have to come back through with the investigator guy. He could maybe tell us about the history, too. All right, I'll head down. As you head down, you see another curtain blocking off an area similar to the ones you'd been going into previously. And as you step through this one, it looks like there's a bunch of old trees that have been set up in this room, like big branches to look like old trees. There's a creature that looks like it's a huge collection of different magical scrolls or staves or things like that. You can tell almost immediately that It looks like it's made of a bunch of different magical items that are all made out of wood or paper, but it's shaped vaguely like a massive tree, and it's got a horrible-looking silhouette of a face on the interior of it. See, you have this, and then the last one is Guy with Knife. I just, I don't get it. Wasn't he on the side of a building, like, hanging there really not human-like? He was hanging off of it like he was getting ready to drop down on somebody and or slit their throat. And the first guy with this, just a guy with an axe coming after a family. Like, this is a scary thing. The guy with an axe is just a guy with an axe. Yeah, but this one couldn't hide next to you in a crowded market. I guess. But, like, you could just go to a jail to look at people that could hurt you. Yeah, I'll get really up close to this one, too. Let's look at this closely. Okay, yeah, I mean, it's super creepy. Very lifelike looking. And the plaque on the bottom says, The Maimed Black Lord of the Forest, Azenrath. Do I know about this creature? Give me a knowledge <laughs> history check. Ooh, what we got? 18 plus 6 of 24. The only thing you've ever heard about anything resembling the name Azenrath is that a long time ago, there used to be a very powerful Trent that went by the name of Azenrath. Mm. Was he made of magic items? No, he was just a big sentient tree. I think they're taking liberties. So the guy might not even have been hanging on the side of the building. He just could have been a guy he saw like in an alleyway with a knife. <laughs> and as you head into the next exhibit... You can see that this area has been luridly painted in bright reds and yellows. A classically demonic figure. Red skin, goat legs, horns on top of the head, holding what looks like a chain connecting to three massive dogs with flames coming out of their eyes and dark red and yellowish coats tearing a man apart between the the three dogs. And on the bottom on the inscription, it says Hellhound Blood Feast. Anything magical in here, or would I have to recast? No, there's. you have not detected magic the entire time you've been in here. I'm going to move up to the demon and, like, double check. Just, I'm going to, like, kind of look at all of them really close. Yeah, if he's yeah. going to look at the dogs, mostly, because that's what she's interested in. 
they're exquisite. It looks like there are individual strands of hair that until you make mental contact with them, you would swear were actual fur or hair, but no, it's sculpted wax. She's going to whisper that they're good boys. I don't think these are good boys. No, but that's only because they're being raised wrong. Look, he, she points to the guy holding the chain. He's obviously making them attack. He raised them from puppyhood to be bad. I know these creatures. Pups aren't born bad. They're raised to be that way. <laughs> Even hellhounds. And you see another sheet separating the next area. If he skips on through. Well, as you skip on through, you see what looks like a massive vat suspended from the ceiling in this room. And from the looks of it, it's pouring hot molten wax onto people that are walking into what looks like the front of this building. Well, that's awful. Is that a threat? Well, there's a little placard down at the bottom that says, Constantly ensuring customer satisfaction. Is that a threat? (laughs) (laughs) It just looks like... If he doesn't get it. There's not... Yeah. It's not real. They don't look like us, right? No, they don't look like you, but it literally looks like people being burned alive with molten wax. It's horrifying. This is awful. I don't like this place. Wax being poured on people. Like, is he just making horrible stuff because it's horrible stuff? Or is there like a theme? From what you can tell, it looks like just horrible stuff for the most part. Like, I feel like this guy just like has a bad dream and then makes it in wax so that we all get to share it. You can see there's a solid door that separates this room from anywhere else. It's got a little slot in it that says one silver to see the magical egress. Yes. Uh, I'll do it. You hear a clinking sound as you put the silver through the slot, and then the sound of a door handle turning. As the door is opened, it's the man from outside. The wolf guy? Yeah, the wolf guy. He says, right this way to the egress. (laughs) Isn't that just exit? Correct. Was there more to see? No. (laughs) You find yourself walking out and onto the porch of this business. Only tourists and wolves usually fall for that trick, but we will call it a tip, hey, baby people. Ah, that was the lamest thing place I've ever been. I just don't understand. <sighs> the door that we came through, does it lock from the inside? It looked like he had a key in that he used to open it up for you. Although you never tried it yourself, so you didn't know if it would have just opened up if you tried it. Is it like the mechanism that the coin comes through and everything? No, the coin fell into a little basket that's situated underneath the slot. I just am trying to figure out if if he can break it with her telekinesis as they're walking away. If you went over and smacked it hard, it would probably knock it onto the ground. So her power would be enough to rip it off of the wall. Yeah, well, he's not looking at them. She's going to just... I look at you as a key. Oh, okay. Yeah, can I find his, his key? It looks like he's got it on a thong around his neck. Ooh. How bad do you want the key? So we want to get in here, right? We could probably get in otherwise, right? There's a hole in that door for coins to come through. If I can look through that hole and see the handle, I can open it. It's, it's a slit. It's not big enough for you to stick your eye up to. I have these tools. Too. Yeah, and maybe the investigator can help us get in. I kind of want to bring him back so he can tell us if there's a theme here, because I don't get it. I think the theme is just random murders. Randomized murder? Does that make sense with it all? Did the tree guy just 
it's, it calls itself a house of horrors. So, yeah. If he add a character, if he doesn't get scared easily, she's got like the whole fearless thing. She doesn't believe in God in a world that has gods. Like, yeah, we both fearless. Like, yeah, she literally just doesn't get it because she's like she would be the person that would walk through a haunted house and be like, okay, but why? What will Alonic Ray be able to help the cousins discover about Damaliu's mysteries? Are all the tableaus in the Maison du Cire really based on actual events or people? And how does the bread in the area stack up to Sasha Brandlebirds? Find out the answers to some of these questions and more on the next episode of Ravenloft Tiny Terrors. Ravenloft is a registered trademark owned by Wizards of the Coast Incorporated. The Pathfinder role-playing game is trademarked by Paizo Incorporated. Our theme song, Spooky Halloween Trailer, was composed by Toy Invention and is used under a commercial license that includes sync licensing. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can always email us at realplaygamespodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at realplaypod. If you'd like to support the show, please visit our Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash realplaygamespod and get early and exclusive content in exchange for helping us pay the rent.